It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, with its own needs. Something in your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down, like fire in a fire. This is the gang, and the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. As we know it, this is indeed the Hour of Doom. Just might be. <laughs> wow. There's a oh. lot of bad stuff going on in the world. But I'm going to say, and bloom, because I'm a very hopeful, optimistic, and positive person. And that's what the script says. <laughs> no. <laughs> well. It's what I believe. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a wistful wonderland of wisdom in a worrisome world. <laughs> I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And my co conspirator <laughs> is known as Nurse Amy, but my name is really Amy Alton. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Absolutely, and together we are the prodigious pair, the queen and the codger, the courageous couple. And we're here to help you keep it together even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a prurient porpoise? Well, our attorney says don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but modern medical care, when it's get up and go, has got up and went, will you know what to do if someone gets sick or injured? Can you prove to the world that you've got more sense than a package of pomegranates by learning what to do for injuries and illness when a disaster hits? Well, hit, well, I certainly hope so. Oh, yes. And while you're at it, you know what? Use some of the common sense the good Lord gave you and get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues that you'll face in any disaster. And you know what? They're designed by yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. 
Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, or just ask anyone who's ever bought one of our kits, and you'll agree they are the ones you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us, something that must be as painfully obvious to you as it is to us. <laughs> so bestow some of that benevolence in your brain to us knuckleheads behind the microphone and reach out to the geezer and the goddess. It's so easy, and here's the goddess to tell it's you so how. It's so easy, so easy. <laughs> you, can contact, right, you can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Like and follow our page, Doom and Bloom, on Facebook, and you'll get all the latest news. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show, and don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. Absolutely, and don't forget our other podcast, American Survival Radio, all about current events with a practical perspective. American Survival Radio, now in a number of fine networks throughout the U.S. of A. Oh, well, I just want to mention one thing. What? There is, on April 21st, uh-huh. a National Parks fee-free day. So Ooh. it's free to get in all national parks if they have a charge. Like the Smoky Mountain National Park doesn't have a right. charge. But some of them do have fees. So you can actually go to any of them on April 21st, take your family, and it's a free day. That is wonderful. Isn't that awesome? Well, and the funny thing is, I, I get uh, emails from Yellowstone National Park, and they're also going to be free. And the funny thing is, is they open the west entrance uh-huh. on April 20th. Oh. So they're opening the day before. At 8 a.m., the west entrance will open for personal vehicle access to Old Faithful. Ma- Mammoth, Madison, and Norris to Canyon. I wow. Have, we haven't been, I haven't been there since before the, they had a huge fire. I believe it was in 88 or 87, and I think I was there in 86. So, um, long, long time ago, there was a terrible fire, but apparently, from what I hear, Things it's recovered very nicely. nicely. yes. Yep. I mean, you know, fires are actually part of nature's cycle of life. You know, we think they're a horrible thing, and unfortunately, when they invade where humans live and are are traveling through, right. Could be it's, very a, dangerous. it's a terrible yeah. thing. But mm-hmm. if it's just in nature, sometimes these fires are just part of a renewal. Um, the the uh, wood ash actually adds nutrients to the soil. The soil. Uh, some seeds actually need to be exposed. Yeah, lodgepole pines and a number of other ones. Yeah. For them to actually procreate. So, you know, it's it's not always a horrible thing. It's, it's horrible for us to see, though. Right. Well, we'll be in Big Sky, Montana in July, yeah. for the, July and early August for the National Conference on Wilderness Medicine. So we'll be right in that neck of the woods. Hopefully we can... Stop by and see some of the beauty. Hopefully there. the traffic won't be too bad. Well, I'll tell you where we are <laughs> going to be very soon is yeah. that we're going to be at the Smoky Mountains National Park. We're heading back to the mountains of East Yay! Tennessee at the place that we call our second home. And that, I'll tell you, it is awesome. We're beginning to get that tropical weather down here in South Florida and I think it's time they for have, us to spend some time yeah. up there, get some cool weather again, the, well, at least at night. Well, the problem is the weather has been so funky everywhere. I just spoke to my daughter who lives in Chicago. She said it snowed on Monday. It was in the 50s to 60s 
Tuesday, Wednesday, and on Thursday, yesterday, I talked to her last night, she said she wore a light jacket. It was in the 70s. Hmm. That's from Monday. Monday snowing to 70s yesterday. Crazy, so baby. So the weather can't figure out what it wants to be. It's it's not accepting spring. So um, I have no idea what kind of weather we're going to get. Look, we'll end up going there, and it'll, it'll be 90. No. It's a record high. Right. Oh, I <laughs> we'll think be it's going to be. It'll be one of those... <laughs> Last hurrahs, I think that that's what that Chicago stuff was. Last hurrah of winter. Wow, isn't and that crazy though? It, that within yeah. a span of four days, yep. it it went from snowing to seventies. Yeah, cannot stop spring. The <laughs> life has to go on. So, I think it's something that you think that's it. You think yeah, no more I, snow. I do. Well, I'll tell you what does happen. I one of the spring issues, and I just did a vi- mm-hmm. we just did a video on this. Oh yeah. I hope you guys will. Uh, subscribe to the our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones, Dr. Bones Nursing, because we do have a lot of great videos on there. But you know that in spring and uh, rainy seasons, yep, right, and and of course seasons in spring, uh, the season of spring also is involves a lot of snow melt, absolutely okay, from the winter. The rivers get crazy. We whitewater rafted once. Yes, oh yeah, that's a great time to that whitewater was, raft. <laughs> yeah. According to the guide, it was a level five, and we were the oh, only wow. ones on the ri- river. Do you remember that? Yep. And, and my little one was what was she? Maybe six or seven. Mm-hmm. She she weighed nothing. Yeah. She was like a. A, a, le- a leaf yeah. that fallen from a tree in right. this boat. Had to Just, hold her down, yeah. That was the scariest thing ever. Well, ever. Anyway, so yes, well, snow melts. So all of this stuff <laughs> can lead to something called a mudslide, also known as a debris flow or a landslide, sort of a wet landslide, I guess is mm-hmm. the best way to put it. And where we are, well, let's say it's just a pretty long fall if you happen to in Gatlinburg. fall off the deck. Yes. Right. Down yeah, here, on, yeah. Down we're here, the, we're at one inch elevation or yes, something. Yeah, I think we're about sea level. An, an inch over sea level out here. Right. But, but <laughs> There's a house there, next door that I think is two inches above sea oh, level. Wow. Yeah, I have to look <laughs> so up we'll at have it. to go to their house if there's yeah, a flood. Right, right, right. <laughs> anyway, Gatlinburg, yes. Our house is on the side of a mountain. Right, exactly. And I'll tell you, places like that, of course, with heavy rainfall or snow melt saturating the ground, it can cause instability. And you'll find all over our neck of the woods evidence of previous mudslides and landslides, things like that. But what makes a mudslide, and, and can you actually prepare for such a thing, or can, are there warning signs? Uh, a, a mudslide is a landslide with a high water content, and so they act like a river, essentially, that, if the mud is relatively thick, has a consistency of wet concrete. We've seen videos. Do you remember the videos where the mud is moving down the road oh, yeah. towards cars mm-hmm. that are trying to get out of the way and people that are running. And you just see it pick up everything as it goes. Now, this one that we had watched was not fast moving. It had that consistency of that concrete that you're talking about. It was, remember, it was sort of right. thick. You don't want to get caught by it. It was moving. It was almost like a lava flow, Oh yeah. if you think about it, because it wasn't running. And it was... It was pretty high, I don't know, maybe five or six feet high, and it was just moving, but it was picking up everything as it went. Right. All it's the pretty, trees, if there were cars in the way, it was just, it was just sort of a jug- adding it yeah, to its it, pile. It's a juggernaut, and it and it cannot stop it, similar to an avalanche in some ways. Oh, yeah, there was no way. Now, that, that particular one that we saw, obviously, the people who were doing the video, 
if it had been fast moving, would not be here in existence anymore because they were smack dab in front of it. But that one was pretty slow. But others we've seen are just like snap of a finger. Yeah, depends, I guess, on the water, water con- content, percent water right, content. what it's picked up so far. But in any case, all of these can get take rocks, trees, other large objects, carry them along, and cause homes to collapse, uh, and of course, a great deal of traumatic injury and even deaths in residents, uh, to residents. As a matter sure. of fact, about 25 to 50 deaths occur annually in the U.S. as a result of landslides, and many, many, many more in less developed countries. So areas prone to earthquakes, hurricanes, wildfires like uh, our neck of the woods in Gallenberg, other natural disasters are especially susceptible to this type of uh, this type of event, and human humans contribute to this susceptibility with poor planning. They cut roads into hills and mountains, and these make mudslides more likely. I think, and especially you're talking about these fires, which we had just mentioned. When it clears off the normal vegetation that has root systems and and things that absorb water and, and things that hold soil in place, we clear out areas, either naturally or man-made. This, this is definitely a susceptible area, and this is what happened in Gatlinburg about, what was it, a year and a half ago? Mm-hmm. The wildfire yeah. has cleared out huge swaths of mountain area. Right. Now they're rebuilding these houses. Mm-hmm. I fear for some of the construction because there's no more trees. I mean, literally, you look at these areas where these houses are being built, and you might see a tree here or a tree there that survived. I don't know what kind of damage the roots have, but... It's basically just a bald mountain with all these houses being built. And some of these houses are built that right on a cliff, scary. even more oh, yeah. sloping Even than worse ours. than ours, yeah, I know. Which, that's possible. You know, 60 feet down is yeah. is where they're putting their, their pilings. But Crazy, baby. It, it's, it's very scary and to of course, see these things. And you don't even have to be on, on a mountain. You can be at the base of the mountain at that beautiful... Right. Riverside sure. retreat that you have, looking up at you, a gorgeous mountain. Right, exactly, a beautiful view, and sure enough, that is an area the that's victim, also at sure. risk. So there are a few things that before you build that dream home on a mountain <laughs> that you or by the river you should cons- consider. Of right. course, beware of steep slopes or natural or man-made runoff conduits, areas that you know that a lot of water goes through. Eroded areas, that's also important, and that's especially with this wild, after the wildfire. Mm-hmm. That's something that you see and you'll see a number of. And of course, if possible, avoid areas that have experienced mudslides in the past. Might be difficult if you really want a house in a mountainous location, but that's something that you could do. It would be wise, I'll tell you what, very wise to have the county geological survey guy check out your property for the level of risk. That's the case. You might consider doing special things. You might consider building retaining walls. You might install flexible pipe fittings so that you don't have gas leaks or water leaks. And, of course, you should have a plan of action. Of course, plot out at least a couple of evacuation routes away from the area. Have, a, of course, a battery-powered NOAA radio. Have a medical kit, of course, to deal with 
the little traumatic injury. Idea. Yes, ah, it's right. Should always where have else a to get it but the beautiful Nurse Amy's Thank store. You. you should have a kit in your car. You should have a kit when you travel. That's <laughs> right. Have a kit. Right, and not <laughs> at just work. not just for med- medical no, stuff. Any, of course, have your you have your bug out bag and you know with food, extra clothes, and you know all the stuff that you need. I'm sure you guys have put together something. I hope you have at least so that you can take it at a moment's notice. Of course, at first glance, your place might look safe, but there are visible warning signs. I want to talk about that. That trouble could be on the way if you see cracks on the walls, flooring, pavement, driveways, foundations. Um, Outside structures may separate from buildings, like maybe you have stairs that go from one floor to the other if they Your start windows separating. windows get squished. Right. Windows may get squished. We've had a little bit of that. Our doors house. might get jammed. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Fences, trees, utility poles, they could start tilting uh, near your house. They might even fall down. Uh, water starts uh, accumulating in weird places. So, you know, that's important. Where is all that runoff drainage converging? And, of course, roads and embankments along. This is how something that happens in our neck of the woods a lot is that roads and embankments along slopes start breaking off at the edges. Yes. So the edges of the asphalt start falling, breaking right. off and coming down. Right, because it's getting eroded underneath it slowly. Right. There was uh, a trail up in uh, – we like to hike. So uh, there was a trail in the Smokies that we were walking on, and sure enough, part of it had or had – almost half of it had fallen down the mountain and there wasn't even a particular rainy season it's just something that happens it's under some stress um water bodies water bodies that are usually clear become very very muddy if there is a debris flow or mudslide activity upstream so keep an eye on the water and of course the terrain starts slanting at the base of a slope if something starts happening you see some rocks on the hillside sort of beginning to get closer to you or just just slanting towards the base of the slope that could be an issue as well now if you find yourself in a mudslide get the heck out of there if you can beforehand try to warn the neighbors turn on the NOAA radio and listen to warnings as they're reported and the important thing is if you happen to get stuck in a mudslide could happen at three o'clock in the morning you may not even know and if you stay home, get to the second story. If you have a second story, get to the second story. Watch for and avoid those down power lines. And as the slide passes through, it's like an earthquake. You want to get under a table, curl into a ball, protect your head. But if you're, if the mud starts coming in, you want to have your hands in front of your face so that you have an air pocket. Okay, but don't do that, honey, because they yeah. can't hear you. Oh. <laughs> I always, I'm demonstrating. He always demonstrates. I'm the guy that does visual demonstrations on radio shows. If he if he talks about stabbing his leg with a knife, I'll you, stab it. He he's at least gonna make the I notion. Actually, will stab it. I've got a knife here. I no, don't do that, honey. Well, we don't need any more injuries. Well, bottom line, the reason why you should do that is if you you can form an air pocket around you, and if you have air, you can survive for a period of time. Absolutely. Oh, I wanted to say. Oh, did we talk about where we're going to be? No, let's talk about that. Okay. We talked about where we're going to be in Gatlinburg, but we didn't say why. Right. We're going to be in the area, in that part of the country for a couple of shows, the Mother Earth News Show, and that is going to be on? That is on April 28th and 29th, and that's a homestead show. So if you're really into 
raising chickens and goats and cheese and bees. They're really big on the whole bee and honey thing. Uh, this is a great place. Natural medicine. Right. You sure. can learn so much. And they have tons and tons of classes. Some of them have a small fee, you know, probably just mostly for supplies. Uh, like I took one last year on making sauerkraut, homemade oh, sauerkraut. Yes. Oh, you made some sauerkraut too. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, I pay, I think it was a little small fee. But I got a mason jar, and, you know, we chopped up our cabbage. She showed uh-huh. us how big to make the cabbage, um, to how much salt to mix in it, because you have to mix a little salt in it. Right, you have to make and then you got And then you got it in the bowl. And make sure you wash your hands really well or use gloves. Then you got to squish it. You got to squish it almost like you're making dough. Wow. You got to get your fingers in there and just squish it and squish it and move it around and move it around. And what happens is... When you're doing that, it's almost like you're milking the cabbage because it starts getting very watery. Wow. And that water from the cabbage is actually the juice that it ferments in. So you don't have to do anything. And just the air, exposing it to the air, and plus it just has it, um, the natural bacteria that's going to convert and yeast that's going to convert and ferment it. And then they, she showed us how to pack it down in the mason jar and to always keep the liquid over. And then take, I'm giving you a whole lesson here, then take a small piece of the cabbage about the same size as the inside of the jar or, or a couple of pieces and push that down on top of the chopped up kraut that you've put in the jar. And then you, you seal it. Uh-huh. But you've got to burp it. So you have to open, open it. Open it every so often. Yes. That's because there's uh, microbes pressure. that are, oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> producing pressure inside. Otherwise, you you may come to an exploded mason jar one day. Right. <laughs> so that was really cool. So anyway. Well, that was... We should take change our show's name to the sauerkraut hour. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just one example of, you know, a cool little Things that you'll see there. Yeah. So I, I felt really cool leaving and, and knowing so that's how to awesome. do that on so, my own. So definitely come and see th- that. That's going to be in Fletcher, North Carolina, very uh, close to Asheville, North Carolina. And so we're going to be there. And we'll also be in uh, the southern part of Atlanta, Jonesboro, for the RK Prepper Show. And we're going to have... At that show, we're going to be doing a suture class. Yes. So we'll be doing one of our popular suture classes That's, in the South Atlanta area. Yes. What days are those? That is May 6th, which is a Sunday. I did it at 12 noon, so if people wanted to go to church, they can go to church first. Usually I hold it first thing in the morning, but I didn't want people to have to make a decision about what to do. All right. So 12 noon. It's okay. about a three-hour class. Depends on how many students we have. And uh, you're actually going to be speaking at both of these shows just doing a talk, which, of oh. course, is free. Uh-huh. So you'll, you will be doing one at Mother Earth. I don't know what that schedule is yet. But, oh boy. folks, they've got everything online. They have their schedule. They When anybody's talking, you can look that up. Um, look, just search for Mother Earth News Expo. Asheville. I think they call it their Asheville or North Carolina. And then, of course, RK Prepper Show also will have their um, speaker schedule up, I'm sure. So anyway, if you're interested in taking that suture class, you can go on doomandbloom.net, hit the classes button, 
and then that takes you to the page and it gives you descriptions of what you're going to learn. We provide everything. You don't need to bring a single thing except a bottle of water <laughs> if you'd like mm. to have some water. We give you everything plus gifts to take home. So if you're interested in that, just go to doomandbloom.net classes page. And it has Sounds a good. it has a PayPal link. So come by and easy. say hi. Absolutely. So those those are our two shows that we're going to be at in the southeast uh, in the month of uh, April and May. Hey, I see here that yes. the U.S. centers. This it's funny how sometimes it appears that we. With modern medicine, we know everything, but many times we have no idea what's going on. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, is investigating a mysterious outbreak of E. coli bacteria Uh-oh. that's spread across all a number of state lines. Now, unfortunately, nobody really knows what the source of the outbreak is. Oh, jeez. And they, uh, it is not a particular food. They, no, people don't know why people are getting sick. There have been a total of 17, 17 cases of uh, bad E. coli infections that have been reported across, listen to these states, Connecticut, Idaho, okay. Missouri, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Washington. So wow. states that have a, a number of them that have little or nothing to do with each other. I mean, Missouri is in the middle of the country, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, East Coast, and Connecticut East Coast, Washington, and Idaho on the west it is that is crazy. Pretty kooky. I mean, people are trying to match the bacterial DNA to known uh, epidemic type uh, bacteria mm-hmm. in an effort to link the cases, trace the origin. Uh, it is pretty crazy because some of these victims that have this really wound up with bad complications, especially things like kidney failure. Luckily, so these people were hospitalized. Yeah, oh, yeah, hospitalized, and none of, wow. none of them have died. But, I mean, if you have kidney failure, well, if you wind up on a dialysis, that is just Severe, really right, that's horrible. News. Now, the investigating investigation is still ongoing, and they may eventually identify a specific food item. Obviously, it's something that's being sent throughout the country, and hopefully they'll do something. The only thing they can say is proper food cleaning and preparation is the best defense against this problem. Yeah, but unless you go in the back of the the restaurant and watch them prepare your food, right? you're not going to know. You yeah. know, you have to you have to stand there and watch them wash their hands and clean every utensil and surface before your food is prepared, which your food also has to be washed properly if it's fruits and vegetables where was the meat being stored was it at the right temperature i mean there's so many factors and then is the person you know contaminating it after that it's right. it's very scary or someone sneezing on your food as they bring it out to you because their hands are full of plates and they had to sneeze and it just happened to blast into it your It can food. happen, yeah. Who knows? Oh, absolutely. It certainly can happen. Well, you know what I wanted to do in, in response to this? I did want to go through what you should do to make sure at least that your water is properly disinfected. And I came across the EPA's actual official recommendations. They're actually different than what I recommend from for a particular uh, just a couple situation. of little, Just a couple of little... Tweaks. Tweaks there. <laughs> we'll now, call it tweaks. Now, they say, uh, of course, only use water. It's been properly disinfected for drinking and cooking. 
Cooking. Uh, See, yeah, that's wa- cooking. Wa- washing dishes and brushing teeth. So it's not just uh, drinking and cooking. Absolutely. Uh, they want you to use bottled water or if you can, but if not, you need to prepare it. And to prepare it, they you can boil it. And they say, and this, uh, this is something I agree with, that boiling is enough to kill most pathogenic bacteria, viruses, even viruses and uh, parasites. And if the bottom line is, is that it can disinfect things and kill the bugs, but it won't make cloudy water uncloudy. And so if the water's cloudy, you should let it settle and then filter it through. If you have coffee filters, that's fine. Or, or even a t-shirt, a, a clean right. cloth, clean cloth, a right. towel. Mm-hmm. Something that you know is woven, right? Linen. Yep. So that that's a cheese good. cloth, something like that. Now there, you probably have heard different opinions as to how long you should have the boiling going on, and so you have a nice rolling boil for at least one minute is what you should do. Did they spell it right? <laughs> no, rolling. they didn't. <laughs> yeah. They did not spell it's it right. It's actually did a, they? they call it a rolling boil, but it's actually a roiling boil. If that's something funny. is roiling, it is, you know, just going all over the place. Um, Now, they say at altitudes above 5,000 feet, that's 1,000 meters, that boil water for three minutes. And the reason why they they suggest that, and I recommend that you follow this one, is that at high altitudes, water takes longer to boil. It actually boils at a different temperature. So uh, it's important to boil it for about three minutes. That you should always let water cool and make sure that you have it in clean containers. Sometimes if you put clean water in a bat in a dirty container, right. well, you know, you just messed up perfectly good disinfected water. Now, uh, interestingly enough, this is not absolutely important, but to improve the flat taste, you might add a pinch of salt. That's what they recommend. I personally say, you know, it's. It's not a gourmet meal. It's water. So, <laughs> right. you know, I don't know that that's absolutely if necessary. You ha- if you have to have a little flavor to your, well, to your water. I mean, it, I, there's enough salt in everything we eat right now. But in any case. Wait, you know what I would suggest mm-hmm. would be a better thing is a, a little sliver of fruit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there you, you know, go. You know, a lime, yeah. a lemon. Sure, that's something you, good. You know, people. If, you know, fancy of, restaurants fancy do it, so why not? Have, yeah, yeah. Have those water containers right. that have strawberries floating in it. And well, something I wouldn't recommend bananas, either. though. <laughs> yeah, no, that would make <laughs> something that's simple that you can do that may improve the taste of the water is just to pour the water from one clean container to another several times, and you might aerate. Uh, aerate we've we've it discussed somehow. aerating right. after the use of bleach. Exactly. Oh, and uh, speaking of bleach, then that's another way that you can disinfect water. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't boil water, then you would want to use bleach. Now, of course, you want to use just regular unscented bleach, chlorine bleach products. You mean I can't use that yeah. lavender? No. <laughs> the active ingredient usually contains either 6% or 8.2% sodium hypochlorite. So that's something that's important. So get a, 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 a dropper, one of those medicine droppers mm-hmm. that you can measure drops with, and Get yourself some household bleach. Remember, the household bleach over the course of time does become less potent. And so it's good for about a year, maybe, and then maybe not much longer than that. And the table that they have uh, says that uh, for a gallon of water, you should use 8%, six, eight drops of 6% bleach, eight drops of 6% bleach, 
or six drops of 8.2% bleach. Well, that can you can certainly get those confused. And uh, then it goes more and more depending on the amount of gallons of water that you need to disinfect. Now, I personally think that you should put more than that. So I, I recommend usually putting 12% uh, or, or 12 drops, not 12%, but 12 <laughs> drops of bleach because you really want to be on the safe side with regards to your drinking water. So I, I personally am not going to change my recommendation. I still think that 12 drops of bleach is probably better. Now, it may have a little more of a chlorine but taste, but if you're used to city water, then that is okay. You're going to be used to it. Well, I think the interesting thing is is that they're telling you you should have a slight chlorine odor. And if you don't, then you should repeat the dosage. So for us, I would rather just double it. You aren't harming yourself right. to begin with rather than trying to trust your nose to actually smell chl a chlorine odor and then repeating it. Right. Well, I mean, you want to. They're getting. You're eventually getting to the twelve drops. I'd rather they. They're trying to do it in two steps. I just put the twelve drops in right away. Right. I, I agree put twelve with drops you. in, even sixteen, if if necessary. I'd rather they say I'd rather do that at one time than to do it at I, one time and then do it again. I completely agree. Later on, you might I mean, have a lot of people who are thirsty. How many containers are you going to have? Exactly. You know, so you need to just like get this done. That's the deal. So I I, th I think that that's what I would recommend a little bit more than the uh, EPA recommends. Now, if you don't have liquid bleach, you can use pool shock or any other kind of calcium hypochlorite. That tends to be in a gran granular form, and that's better for storage purposes. And so to make that solution, what you need to do is, by the way, do this in a ventilated area where eye protection, this stuff is irritating. So add one heaping teaspoon to uh, maybe of uh, high test granular calcium chloride to maybe two gallons of water. Stir until the particles are dissolved. The mixture produces a chlorine solution of approximately, five, they say here, 500 milligrams per liter. All I know is that it's about right to make bleach. Not You're not making drinking water, you're making bleach here. Now then to disinfect, take one part of that solution that you made and put it on in a hundred parts of water that you're treating. This is about adding the same as adding one pint of the chlorine solution to 12 gallons, 12.5 gallons, as a matter of fact, of water. So that's the story. If the, if the chlorine taste is too strong, pour. Remember what I said about pouring water from one clean container to another. That will help. It now right. the important thing with bleach. Is very simple. Is that you cannot drink that stuff right away. Number one, it has to work. Right. Okay. And work its, it's magic. It's not like boiling. It's yeah. we're not talking about three minutes here. Right. It is very important for you to make sure that you wait about three, uh, 30 minutes. I would say would be a, I a think good that's idea. Safe and that's 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 a good time to wait. Right. Is if, that thirty minutes? Right. If you if you notice that the taste is too strong. Then, even then, I wait a little longer if you can possibly do it will, so. It will dissipate, exactly. There you go. Another thing that they recommend mm -hmm. is the use of tincture of iodine. You may have iodine in your medicine cabinet or first aid kit, and betadine, things like that. If you have a 2% tincture of iodine, take about five drops, six drops to every liter of water. I don't know why they switched from gallons now to liters. Now, the all recommendations in the 
I've been giving have been liters. Right. I mean, have been gallons, gallons. and now we well, have liters. Well, they did say quart. Quart. Quart or liter. All right. So anyhow, there are four quarts in a gallon, right? Yep. And so therefore, you're talking about about 20, 20 drops. I think I mentioned about 16, but uh, 16 to 20, that's okay. The water will be sort of colored and um, or cloudy probably as a result for a but that would go away uh, in a very short period of time of course this doesn't filter the water if there's particulates in the water and makes it cloudy then you want to filter it as well so um, the water has uh, with iodine the water has to stand for about 30 minutes just like bleach so that's that's important of course there are water disinfection tablets these are different and Aquatabs, uh, Aquatabs and those. things like that, and they may have their own particular uh, recommendations with regards to how to use there's those. Just quite, follow those. Yeah, there's quite a few uh, brands out there, and like you said, they all have their their own instructions. So you you do need to follow. Them. Sometimes there are two steps. Sometimes there's two different things you have to do. So you just have to pay attention to the instructions for those. Now, interestingly enough, this particular item from the EPA does not actually add UV sterilization, but you can use well, the sun. What year was that written? Well, this is... Uh, maybe, maybe it's... I mean, water is water. Yeah, it was... 2017. Yeah, not long ago. Well, the bottom line with that is a direct sun can indeed function to sterile uh, to disinfect water and right. so what you should do is you should get a clear a perfectly clear container fill it about 80 90 percent with water shake it up a little bit and then put it in direct sunlight now if you don't have direct sunlight you're in trouble you need to have direct sunlight for about eight hours for it to kill most of the bugs and that i think is something that people don't realize maybe the epa epa doesn't put UV sterilization with the sun as a option because they don't trust people <laughs> to do it right. So that's always a possibility and it's one of those things that I guess you have to decide whether you feel comfortable doing I that I would or have not. to say that, that that is like a last resort. I mean, you you literally can't make fire. You know, if you if you can make fire, which I hope you have the ability to do, we want you to boil that water. This yeah, is I would prefer this it. is complete utter survival. There's no wood. You have no ability to start fire. You happen to have a clear water bottle. You happen to have some water, and you are stuck. This is this is the last step bet before you just drink the water from whatever source it is. That, that, that's it. This is only one step up from, from just drinking straight from the water source with no idea what, what you're going to be exposed to. Right. So this is last resort, not first. <laughs> just want to be really clear. It is not as effective as boiling and bleach and iodine. But it's it, way but I still low think, on the table. Well, but still I think it's an option. It, it, well, like I said, it's it's your survival situation. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. You know, last week we talked uh, about the difference between drug allergies and side effects. We talked about allergies in general. And 
it was important, I thought, as if you're going to be the medical caregiver for your family or your, or your group in times of trouble or your community, well, that you know the difference between side effects or adverse reactions and drug allergies. Now, of course, a drug allergy is a, a, a immune system gone haywire, essentially, in response to exposure to a particular drug. There is an adverse reaction. could be, let's say, a medicine that just naturally causes intestinal muscles to, to cramp. Ugh. Well, Sounds you know, terrible. it can cause cramps. And so cramps aren't an allergy. They cramps are actually a side effect or a adverse reaction. <clears throat> and so this is really important because a lot of people will report to you that they are allergic to this or allergic to that. We mentioned some of the reasons that they decide they're allergic to something. Of course, one, uh, the side effects make them feel unwell. And so they assume they're allergic to it. Um, they may have family members that were once, was once, were once diagnosed with being allergic to a particular drug or uh, they read something negative about it online, saw it on TV, they don't want to ever take it. It could be philosophically opposed to a particular type of drug. You're a Scientologist. You don't want to take psych meds. It's just one famous example. Or, And, of course, they could possibly really be allergic to the drug. And the, the actual allergy is probably less than 10% of reactions to medicines. And that's not according to me, that's according to the World Allergy Association or organization. Uh, so that's something that's important. And this is very important because they're two different things. So the drug allergy, negative response by your immune system after exposure to a medicine. And remember that this is the cascade of reactions that normally is protective, but when excessive, as in an allergic reaction, could be harmful. So that's something that's important. Now, the, the body, interestingly enough, with a, an allergy doesn't respond immunologically to the drug the first time it's exposed. It actually has to real, be exposed to a drug at least once to get primed, so to speak, for an allergy-causing reaction. And so... If people say to you that the first time they took this medicine, they had an allergic reaction, well, they may have had an allergic reaction, but if it was a true allergy, it probably was from some previous, they had some previous exposure to it or some component of it. Now, allergies to many substances can be determined by skin or blood tests in normal times, so you might have your very allergic family members be tested before you know what hits a fan, you might ask, you know, why I'm going on and on about this. Why does it matter? Well, here's an example. Let's say somebody in your group has chest pain and a history of heart disease. Now, you suspect they're having a heart attack, but the guy says he's allergic to aspirin, and that's the only medicine you have available. You don't have a cardiac bypass unit nearby or a cardiac intensive care unit. You got basically aspirin. So what do you do? Do you give the aspirin? to somebody I know, right? which could save their life or are you going to take the risk that they're going to have an allergic reaction and just well, make things worse well if they're on their way to a hospital <clears throat> I'm giving them the aspirin because right. they can deal with the allergy, the allergy when they get, get there, there. there you go. <laughs> if, okay. the if the ambulance is on the way you're getting an aspirin well if the, it's not on the way and it's the only thing you have you might have to give it anyhow <sighs> I might I so would I, I would I would because, you know, 
I'd rather give them the aspirin for the heart attack and deal with the allergy afterwards. Well, here's another example. A woman, let's say, has a severe infection that's proven resistant to just cleaning the wound. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that leaves you with antibiotics. You have one or two antibiotic options in your medical kit, and mm -hmm. both of which she says she's allergic to. Ah. What do you do? Uh. Do you give the medication and save the patient, perhaps, or kill the patient, possibly, if they're truly allergic to it? Well, I guess it depends on what their allergy is. Do I have been allergies? I get I have hives. A I have a question. Do or I, I stop breathing. You know. Do I have Benadryl? You have Benadryl. Well, you could do have. Do I have Benadryl? How about if you did do? I have, store let's Benadryl. say you do. Let's say you do. Then I would pre-medicate them with 50 of Benadryl, and I would wait about a half an hour, and then I'd give them the antibiotic. All right. Well, there you go. That's not an unreasonable thing. That's what I would thing. have to do. I would also, being from a practical standpoint, hopefully have raw, unprocessed honey, and I would be pouring that in that wound also. So I would try to get it from the outside and the inside. Well, that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. Another thing that's important is to maybe ask your doctor for a prescription for EpiPens. Not just one, but maybe more than more than one. Right. So that you can have them as part of your medical kit. And EpiPen is epinephrine, inject auto injectable, very simple process. And it is something that would deal with even an allergic a severe allergic reaction. Now we we know that we, liquids do expire pretty soon after expression dates, but I believe you've talked about Yeah, there was a, a study. study. Right. There was indeed a study that show that they took about thirty or forty uh expired EpiPens mm -hmm. that were about three to four years, up to three to four years expired, and they found that... That's a long time even, for right, liquid. Think right, about it. Right. Even three to four years down the road that uh, the EpiPens were as much as 80% potent. Now, that's gotcha. not great not compared to pills. Wait, let's just be clear. Not 100%, mm -hmm. but... Somewhat effective. We could call right. that a somewhat right. effective. Right. You may have to give them two EpiPens to sure. achieve the same results. Hard to say. Not at the same time, though. Right. <laughs> give them one, see if that works. Right, first. Exactly. <laughs> Don't need to double dose people just in case. I'm with give you. Give them a, a few, few seconds to see if that one works. They are pretty rapidly effective, though. I will say I had an allergic reaction to... I shouldn't say I had an allergic reaction. I had an overdose reaction, which is different, mm -hmm. to ibuprofen. My tongue swelled. Now, I have no problem if I take ibuprofen every once in a while. It's just I had taken a lot of it unknowingly. <laughs> it was hidden in one of the medicines I was taking. So read your labels, folks. This was a long time ago. I, w I wasn't as savvy about labels as I am now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I got to the hospital and they immediately, they didn't give me an EpiPen, but they gave me an injection uh -huh. of epinephrine. Right. And I'm not even kidding you, within seconds, seconds, I felt my tongue going down. Because I was talking like this. Oh, boy. My, the speech was... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my tongue had swollen. Uh, it's it very was dangerous. very scary. It's swollen enough and it could block your Very airway. scary. Absolutely. Yes, yes. I remember I called my doctor and I said, that's in my tongue is swollen. I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, like, my God. Yeah. I'm laughing at that, but it's terrible. No, I know. I know. <clears throat> well, I wasn't thinking clearly and I wasn't a nurse yet. So, <laughs> I was, again, I would give myself excuses. Um, so he's, that's... He's immediately, go to the hospital. 
go to, go to the hospital. Amy, go to the hospital. Right. But the, the, no, go to the hospital. They'll call me when you get there. Just go. But so with this is very effective. The, and the whole point of this conversation is that that EpiPen, if it's somewhat effective, the first one you give, you're going to know within 30 seconds to a minute if the patient appears better, if they start speaking better, they say their throat doesn't feel swollen, you're, you're going to see. And if they don't have a complete resolution within, you know, a couple Period of minutes, of time, yeah. yeah, then you give them another one. But you don't have to take two hands and, and shoot two in the same time. Yeah. <laughs> you can wait a little bit. It might be okay. But that was very interesting because for so many years we've talked about how expiration dates on things that are liquid you know, you you pretty much need to adhere to them, especially liquid antibiotics. Right. Those ones that the babies, the, right. the, the mox, pediatricians get. Right, elixir, that pink liquid. Don't leave that in the refrigerator for a couple of years mm. and expect that you can give it to your now two-and-a-half-year-old when it was for your six-month-old, you know, if something happens. It's not not going to work. Now, I want to say, before we go on, go on to other, anything else, I want to uh-huh. say about the epinephrine Yes, is that... EpiPen is a pretty expensive if you don't have insurance Ooh, yes. with just a copay to pay. So uh, what they did in the old days with you before there were epi- was EpiPens probably is take a vial of epinephrine and they just gave a certain dose. You know dose. what I think? I think it was just cheaper Yeah. At that oh, point. really? Well, okay, well, there I you mean, go. I mean, we're talking, my gosh, 30 years <clears throat> ago. I think it was just cheaper for the hospital at that point. Uh-huh. Now they waste money all the time. I'm sure they only give probably EpiPens now. Right, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> oh, sure. you're allergic to your hair. Let stick you with a $600 EpiPen and then bill my insurance. Right, of course. I'm sure they billed my insurance for that little injection a few dollars, but if they'd have given me a, an EpiPen, they probably could have billed $1,000. So I'm sure people are getting EpiPens mm. more frequently in emergency rooms. Uh, and also about the cost, there are some companies that make these EpiPens and maybe sort generic. Generically. That have at least I've seen commercials try to help a consumer that doesn't have insurance. So if you have to have EpiPens and you don't have insurance, contact the companies. Sometimes they actually do have programs to help out folks. I know it's shocking for our listeners to hear this because a lot of you think the medical industry is just out to kill you. That's not always true. Or out for money. Hopefully, just, right. And they are, of course. Um, businesses. Want, they want to make a buck. Businesses sure. are, are businesses. you got to pay your employees. you got to pay your bills. I understand that. Um, but we're not out to always harm you. So contact them. They, they might help you out. And then that's actually true for a lot of different medicines. It doesn't hurt to ask. That's the thing. If you've got a a cardiac medicine you have to take or a blood pressure medicine a lot of these companies have special deals for people right exactly to help you out because what's happening is the people who do have insurance are being billed more right so sometimes they take that some of that excess money and they help out others so it does happen not everybody but hey again doesn't hurt to ask. Right. Always, always ask always ask your physician. For sure. So I think we have covered that. I mean, it, it's just really, really important. If you're going to be the medical guy or gal mm. for 
your family or your community in times of trouble. Make sure your allergic members, I'm going to have to put that in quotes. I know. Allergic members are tested to deter, now to determine if the immune system is really involved. And that'll give you an idea of the amount of anti-allergy meds, that, like EpiPens and things like that, to have on hand. It'll give you the freedom to determine what the safest course of action is. That's mm -hmm. so important. Hey, have you experienced the joy <laughs> that comes from helping the elderly? Well, you can help the elderly, that's me, and your family by getting a copy of the award-winning third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. I say award-winning because the book, our third edition, won the 2017 Book Excellence Award in the medical category. And we talk about over 150 different topics as if you are the highest medical asset left. We try to make you effective in that role. We talk about natural alternatives in situations where uh, your pharmaceuticals might have run out. We talk about pharmaceuticals too, though. We talk about the different options with antibiotics. We talk about just about everything that you can imagine. You can get our book on our website at store.doomandbloom.net or at amazon.com. I just want to mention something, folks. If you like seeds, check out globalseednetwork.org. And we'll, we'll talk, talk about it next week. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for this week's Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. <laughs>